When running a business, your employees can create all kinds of interesting situations, like getting complaints because someone on the team always smells horrible. You better talk to Bambi. With Bambi, get access to your own dedicated HR manager starting at just $99 per month. They're available by phone, email, and real-time chat, so onboarding and terminations run smoothly. Team members reach peak performance, and your business stays compliant with changing HR regulations. And with Bambi's HR Autopilot, you'll automate important HR practices like setting policies, training, and feedback. Bambi's U.S.-based personnel are dedicated to your business, giving you access to the HR expertise and personal touch you need. HR managers can easily cost $80,000 per year, but Bambi starts at $99 per month. Schedule your free conversation today to see how much Bambi can take off your plate. Visit Bambi.com slash C-Suite right now. Spelled B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash C-Suite. Bambi.com slash C-Suite. Welcome to the Family Brain with your host, Megan Gibson. The well-being of one person in a family affects the whole family system. This is a supportive community to share research, resources, stories, tips, and life hacks to keep the family brain healthy. This is the Family Brain, and I am Megan Gibson. Today I'll be talking with Kelly Coulter. Kelly is a licensed professional counselor here in my new city of Austin. She does work with girls primarily between the ages of, I think she said five and 25. And she runs individual counseling, family sessions, and groups. And I was excited to talk with her because anytime I see her, we always have lots to chat about and I was excited to hear more about her work and also to see what kind of tips she has as parents um, what kind of things can we do with our kids to feel more connected and um, to help our kids sort of sift through a lot of the messages that they get out in the world how can how can our home and our connection with our kids be a place of safety and I was definitely inspired by some of the things she was saying. And I, I could see where I could do better. So I hope you enjoy this episode with Kelly Coulter. So today I'm talking with Kelly Coulter. And Kelly, what is your background? You Are you a, uh, you, I know you're a counselor, but what is, the, what is your professional license? So I'm a licensed professional counselor okay. in Texas, and I have a national board certification, too, for just for kicks. Okay. Do you ever do telemedicine at all? I don't. Yeah. I just heard a commercial for, you know, that Michael Phelps um, commercial for, what is it called, Next Talk or something? Talk therapy? I should know oh, if I'm going to mention it, but it's yeah. like the web therapy thing. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, you know, and I've done a few Skype sessions. It just, you know, I... I I connect so much better in person, right? Right, I mean, right. You know, that eye to eye, and just even energetically with, with other people, it, it tends to be more effective for me. Personal. Right. No, that makes sense. Um, so your, your main interest, I would say, is working with young girls. Is that correct? Correct. I'm with a practice, Austin Therapy for Girls, so that's our primary focus, ages 5 to 25. I... I do a lot of parenting work, actually, also in that, so, you know, above 25 mm-hmm. when when it comes to the, the parenting stuff, uh, but I have a background in school counseling, so I've worked in schools for, gosh, maybe 18 years, I've lost count, and then, and now in private practice, so 
that age group, at early adolescence, elementary age, teens, all of that just really appealed to me. I saw such a need for therapy if we can if we can get them when they're early. You know, yes. that prevention over intervention right. idea. Well, so I know this isn't the primary reason for our talk, but when you were in the school system, where do you think we can do better when it comes to the school setting? What do you think yes. that is That's missing? That's a great question. And in fact, I felt a lot of guilt leaving the school because I felt like I was contributing to what we do need more of, which is mental health in schools. And school counselors are critical to that. And schools do a great job of employing qualified in many places, especially where, where you and I are at, licensed professionals to work in the school. The issue becomes, at least for me, it became starting to do more administrative work, you know, being asked to do more STAR testing, more 504 coordinating, things that strayed from mental health. And and so there was a real disconnect for me with, oh, I'm, I'm here to help kids, yet I'm also in charge of this STAR test that I believe is detrimental for kids. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I'm and I'm not having the time that I need to work with, with children. So there are amazing programs out there for social-emotional development. It's really just getting staff that the schools will, you know, it's just funding, really, I guess, what yeah. it comes down to. Because I know the schools want to. Right. And I know they see the value. It's it's a matter of ability with, with funding. Right. Well, but do you think that they've always seen the value or do you think that this is a newer like shift that people are sort of waking up that this is something that matters? I think that depends on the school and on the district. I've worked in some schools, you know, particularly the the private schools always have seen that and had the luxury to provide that. Um, Not always, but I guess since, since I've been in them, but you know, being in the public school, I feel like that's been a shift as of late where I've really seen a bigger push, and now it's really being talked about a lot, the social-emotional. Now there's curriculum developed around it, and it's just being dealt with in a in a more intentional way. Yes. Um, one of the school districts in Austin is now hiring counselors, licensed social workers, licensed professional counselors to come in and set up clinics in the schools, which is phenomenal. So now those kids can have access to a licensed professional and have an actual session. Right. During the school day, so they don't have to add that to it. Right. And even further, providing it for the staff, which I think is so important. That's huge. Yes. Trauma-informed staff is so beneficial. Wow, that's amazing. So what are some of the issues or the things that you see coming often through your door? Like, what would you say? Is is there a general theme to what you see, or is is every day different? Every day is pretty different. I would say if I had to generalize a theme, I see a lot of anxiety, a lot of perfectionism. Um, you know, besides the, the typical home stuff that we that we kind of all see in practice with divorce or changing families or any kind of big transitional stuff, I see the day-to-day anxiety and pressure in schools. Um, I see a lot of children misidentified, unidentified, so not really getting the accommodations that they need in school or not having the best fit for um, educational purposes. So I do a lot of work around that and just helping children get some skills in place for coping with relational aggression is a big one. Um, You know, the pressure that they put on themselves, shame. Schools can be pretty shame-based, unfortunately. Um, So just having, having the skills in place to work through that. Right. Well, and I know one of the things you and I have talked about is your background in 
training with Brene Brown's method. Can you talk right. a little bit about that? Because I know you're talking about shame, and I know that's a key component that's of that work. work. Yeah. yeah, shame and vulnerability. Mm-hmm. So I'm a certified Daring Way facilitator, and I actually run girls' groups, small groups, based around Brene's curriculum. So she has curriculum now for adolescents, she has it for women, for parents, and so I do a lot of work in groups around that, which can be very powerful, especially for the girls to connect with other girls and realize they're not the only ones having these I'm not enough thoughts and feelings, and I just, I love that work. Oh, it's so cool. Well, and as women, adult women, I mean, I think that, that this is a message for all age groups, and I mean, it goes back to we can't teach what we don't know, right? So if we're not practicing these things in our own adult lives, how do we then expect to transfer it to our kids? Yeah, the messages that we send. So really kind of getting right with yourself, too, and and owning some of that vulnerability and Mm -hmm. shame messaging and trying to undo some of that as women so that we're not modeling that for our children or that we can help guide them through it. Yes. Um, You know, we we can't bubble wrap them as much as I wish I could for my own. But I can hope to instill some of these skills of resiliency, yes. which is a lot of, of Brene work. You know, we're all going to feel shame at some right. point. It's unavoidable. It's the human it's, condition. Right. It's yeah. how long do we let it resonate? What do we do with those messages? How do we discharge that energy? Uh, I'm also trained in emotion-focused family therapy, which has been really powerful with working with the entire family unit, family brain, mm-hmm. you know, which is what I loved about your podcast is that whole idea of the family brain and so emotion-focused family has been really a really cool therapy that I've, I've been engaging in I've I've done love and logic I've done nurture and approach positive discipline all of those and I love all those and components of those I just find that emotion-focused family therapy seems to really bring from all of that and it also meshes really well with Brene Brown's work yeah well I would I need to get trained in that Emotion, yeah, what is it? Emotion it. focused therapy? Emotion Emotion focused family therapy. Family therapy, really yeah. A, a lot about, you know, deeply validating your children, mm. even if we disagree with the emotion or why their emotion is exhibiting or manifesting in this behavior that we yeah. don't like. How can we still deeply validate them so that they can feel heard and then be in a space where they can problem solve? Right. You know, nobody can move forward until they feel understood. Right. Well, and that's where I got this concept of the family brain. When I was first became a social worker, I worked with um, the Department of Mental Health in Massachusetts, and I worked with all these families where the child was the designated problem. And for real, right? And it's like, this is a bipolar child, and they need massive services, and their parents need support. So their parents need support, yeah, but then you go into the home, and you're like, oh my gosh, this child is reacting almost reasonably to the chaos, and not in all cases, I, I won't say in all cases, but in many of the cases, there's yes. there's a lot of other factors at play, and it's it's so easy to z- designate one person as the, the issue, when oftentimes sure. it's a bigger bigger picture. Yeah, and then you don't have to look at yourself either. You don't mm-hmm. have to have any shame shield around that, because you're here, and, and you can feel good about getting your child help. Right. You know, so... Uh, that is what really struck with me about this emotion-focused family therapy is you're required to involve involve yourself as a parent. And, you know, I've had to say to clients, I can keep seeing your child over and over and over again, although this issue, if we want it, if we want to be effective here in therapy, you're going to have to engage. And, and luckily in my practice, so many parents are highly motivated and 
want the skills, just don't have them. You know, they're doing the best they can with what they've got, and they just need more skills. And I, and I love that I could offer this script. Yes. In some cases, of here's, here's what to say. When, when your child is in this state and flooded with emotion, here's how to validate that. And, and I think the hardest part for parents, and especially for me as a parent, you know, I, I always say I, I make mistakes, obviously, as a parent. And I feel like before, I think I told you this when we met, I, I felt like before... I was a parent. I was kind of self-righteous. Mm-hmm. Me too. <laughs> it's been so humbling. So yes. that's, I always say that up front with clients. Like, look, I've yelled. I've done, you know, I've, I've shamed my children probably. I've done all the things, even though I have all, you know, but toolbox full. So, um, you know, with, with that validation, I think going back to what I was saying, the hardest part for me was I wanted to argue the facts with my kid. I wanted to say, Okay, I get it. I get that you're angry right now. I hear that. I see it. But, you know, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. Here's how we got there. And really just if we can cut out that butt piece and maybe even add an and. I see that you're feeling angry. I hear that you're frustrated. And I get it because. Right. Because of this, because of this, because of this, period. And right. just trying to stop, you know, it, the hardest part is to not talk. Yeah. <laughs> and just sort of sit with it's that. It's so and crazy. feel it. Yes. You know? I did a dialectical behavior therapy group, DBT, and we would often joke that it was DBT is don't bother talking because, (laughs) you know, so many times you're trying to use all these different skills and really it's like all the words are flooding people, you know, like they just need to sort of deal with what they're feeling without all the words. I haven't actually been able to achieve that, but I'm working on it. <laughs> I have a lot of words to offer. Yeah. I find that when I can detach a little as a parent and, and, and just kind of sit with my children and even pretend there's someone else's child in the moment, mm-hmm. it's a more effective outcome. Um, One of the things but, I noticed in my um, professional work was that when I had kids, it became a lot more difficult, maybe because of what you had said about you know, it's easy to be self-righteous and be like, well, this is what the books say and this is the strategy. But then when you, and I think that might've been why it became so much more challenging for me. You realize how much love is in these families and how much it's just, it, it almost, um, it was always such an honor, but then you realize, oh my gosh, this, this is a big deal that I'm coming in and sort of working with this family. It's a big, it's an honor and a responsibility, I guess is what I'm trying to say. It's a heavy one. Yeah. yeah, it really is. And they're and they're so, you know, a lot of times by the time they get to us, you know, they're desperate. Mm-hmm. And, and the repair work is so important and so heavy. And it, you're right. It's, it's just an honor. I feel I feel so honored that, that families will trust me and bring me into their process and share their vulnerability with me. And, and I really do approach that with, with no judgment, especially yeah. having, you know, living it day to day myself. For sure. The trick is not judging myself. Right, right. When I make the mistakes at home. I know, I know. It's, uh, I had a podcast, one of the first podcasts I did, and I'm actually trying to get him to come back on. His name is Kirk Martin, and he has a podcast um, called Celebrate Calm, and he does a lot of speaking. And his whole thing is about staying calm, you know, and, and, and what can you work on in yourself instead of being like, my child needs to do this, my child needs to do that. And it's like shortly after this conversation with this person, I'm like, yes, yes, this is it. And then I'm like screaming at everybody. I am trying to be calm, you know. Yes. Every time I return from a conference or even from a really good session, uh-huh. I 
feel like there's been a powerful shift and dynamic. I come home feeling really empowered and, okay, I'm ready again. I'm going to do this. Or mm-hmm. even, even like a day like today where my kids are in school, so I actually get some time to myself. Right. <laughs> I'm the best parent when my kids are in school. I mean, I pretty much nail it when they're not in my presence. But... <laughs> <laughs> and then the minute they get in the car, maybe even some days I get, you know, five minutes down the road and I'm like, oh, gosh. It was it's that easy to revert back to old habits, mm-hmm. you know? So it's just true. such a trigger, right? You're yes. so close to it. So true. So tell me a little bit more about you um, are working on developing a retreat for mothers and daughters. And I was just wondering if you could tell me a little bit about what got your brain in that direction. What sparked yeah. that idea? So, well, really it's around Renee's work. And I love the gifts of imperfection, imperfect parenting. And, you know, it's, it's such a, there's such a neurobiological connection between parents and, and particularly mother-daughter. So I just have always, you know, been intrigued by that. And Shana Barksdale, the owner of the practice too, has done these retreats before and has seen success in them. And, and we were just kind of tossing back and forth. Do we do a women's retreat? Do we do, we've done camps, courage camps in the summer based on Brene Brown's courage works, but how about bringing them both together mm. and really, really working on the connection between mother-daughter so much can boil down to communication, which can be really hard to do when yeah. once your child starts to hit that puberty age and their brain is developing and changing. And so making sure that those lines of communication stay open and that they're clear. And, you know, one of Brene Brown's things is the story I'm telling myself and how our brains are hardwired for stories. So I really love teaching that to families and to kids and making sure that that they realize that their thoughts are not always true. And when they've made an interpretation and their brain has told themselves a story, make sure you're checking in to see for accuracy. Because right. the brain's going to reward you for the story regardless of accuracy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, kind of become a detective per se. And when I can, I find that when I can get parent and child on board with that concept and it, it could be really, really yes. um, changing. And what's funny is I feel like we... I need constant reminders of that concept, the story I'm telling myself, you know, like with our recent move, it's so easy to get overwhelmed and stressed out and just create these scenarios of like, nobody cares. I'm the only one, you know, and it's, but, and when you're tired, when you're hungry, when you're stressed, it's harder to see clearly, you know what I mean? And sort of taking a step back and recognizing like, maybe my glasses are a little foggy right now. Sure. Um, it's a challenge for adults, like mm-hmm. you're saying. And, and for kids, you know, for children and teens who are, are constantly flooded or living in fight, flight, or freeze mode or in high, a victim of hijack, whatever you want to call it, it can be really empowering for them to just get to a space where they can stop and check in and kind of fact check that story that they're telling themselves. Same for us. And, you know, even as women, you know, oh, she didn't call me back or she didn't text me back. She hates me. Mm -hmm. Those stories that we tell ourselves when we go to that all or nothing thinking and, and you can really weave in that cognitive behavioral therapy piece easily to that when you get to those cognitive distortions involved in that story I'm telling myself line. Yeah. Which is what I love about Brene. It's just so relatable. Yes. Like you're saying, she really, the language she uses makes it really approachable. And for kids, it's just been awesome to even teach them the difference between shame and guilt. Hmm. Tell us about that. So guilt is, I did a bad thing. I made a mistake. I got a bad grade. I was mean to my friend. It's about the behavior. When it, when it flows over to shame, it's, I'm stupid. I'm a bad 
opposed to, oh, I may have picked a bad outfit today. You know, so it's really being able to separate self from behavior. And when kids can make that connection and and really in a concrete way, it all have them write on a piece of paper, giving shame messages, write down guilt messages. Do you see the difference? What feeling does this evoke? What feeling does this evoke? It's just great for them to be able to identify that so they can say, oh, I'm in shame right now. Yes. I feel my physical symptoms of a shame wash. Or, oh, yeah, I kind of feel guilty about that. But, oh, well, you're 12 in your day. Right. Yes. Yes. And that's our, I mean, again, you can't teach what you don't practice, right? We got to right. do that with ourselves so we can teach it. Right. To our kids. And I found in the schools, you know, so often we want to stop bullying behavior. We want to stop relational aggression. And there were, you know, million dollar industry around anti-bullying campaigns. And really what I found to be most effective is when we could teach children how to be resilient and, and how they could bounce back from an incident from a relational aggression. And there was more power in that than saying, we're going to have no tolerance for bullying. Because, mm-hmm. you know, children can be mean. Adults can be mean. It's hu- human nature. Not that it's okay. I never would excuse it. I would just say, let me also empower the child that's the victim at this point, too. Yes. No, that makes so much sense. And, and I not get them into shame. Right, right. Huh. This is yeah, great. I, I know. I need to... I need to come in for a visit. I'm not 25. I need to just, yeah. Um, so one of the a podcasts I was listening to the other day, do you ever listen to the Jen Hatmaker podcast? Oh, I love Jen. Oh, she's so good. The last one, this woman was amazing. I'll send it to you, but, um, and I'll add a link um, for our show notes. But it was about um, body shame. And the woman's name was Hillary McBride. And she had just written a book called Mothers, Daughters, and Body Shame, I want to say. I really should. I, I'm so bad at the details. I know exactly what, what it was about. But, um, but it was just so good about just this generational torch that can be passed. And, I mean, her yeah. specific topic was around body shame. And I'm wondering, in your practice, is that something that you guys do a lot of work around in terms of working with women and girls and families? Not a lot of work around, not a lot of work when it starts to kind of go over to disordered eating. Mm. You know, we try to get it before it gets to that point, and and then we can refer out to an eating disorder specialist. But if if we can attack that before, we certainly do. And in fact, in the groups, one of the activities, we put a mirror on the page, and we have the girls look in that mirror, and they bring a picture of themselves, whichever, you know, depends on the group. What, what I do, and then they'll write messages around that, messages of shame, and then messages to counter those shame. So a lot of that does come down to body shaming, mm-hmm. you know. And I do have a lot of girls at an early age, and you know, and boys. I see boys too, and 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 boys are just as vulnerable to this with with body image, and and if they're if they have any of those perfectionistic characteristics, then that really starts to come out too. Yeah. No, it was. I I'll, I'll have to share this episode with you because I. What was so interesting to me, and this is the thing that I think, I don't know, we all need reminding of, is that the messages in our culture are so strong that it's almost no wonder that there's a lot of shame messages. That's almost like the billion-dollar intention behind the advertising is to to induce shameful feelings and that you have to kind of work to be aware of those messages. Well, and I don't know if you saw the the post that I made today, but that was one of the I did. That made me, yeah. (laughs) You say, I'm ugly, and then if you can ask yourself, who benefits from this message? Yes. I certainly don't, but the industry does, right? I'm about to go out 
and buy whatever I need to buy to, to fix whatever issue I'm seeing with myself. And, yeah. and that's not to say that we shouldn't enjoy things that we like that make us feel good and make our body feel good. And, you know, we shouldn't care about our appearances. It's just the message that we're, what's driving it, what's driving right. that behavior. Just to sort of like be a critical audience to the messages we're all taking in all the time. And it was just a good, again, it was a good reminder for me because it's like, I can know this stuff, but it's just so easy to kind of continue on and forget. Yes. And I found it really, you know, I have a daughter and she asked me, I remember at a very young age, why do you wear makeup? You know, when she'd see me getting ready Mm -hmm. for work and I thought, oh, wow, you know, that's a tough question. Why do I? And and as a therapist, especially with girls, I, I find myself struggling with, Okay, I want to look nice, but not like I care too much. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Where do you draw the line with, okay, because I'm modeling also for the clients. Yeah. How, how I can accept myself. So that's, it's tricky. And so it's tricky as a mom, too. You know, why am I wearing this? Why am I wearing this? Because I love this color, or I just, it's fun. Not because I'm trying to cover up dark circles. <laughs> no, it's so true. And that's the thing a lot of times your kids, a lot of times, I would say almost always these days, my kids bring to light the issues that I have not yet resolved. You know, like they're our oh, greatest like teacher. In front of you. Yes. <laughs> yes. No. It's so, actually like a magnifying glass. Yep. Yep. Yes. Lots that's of questions. It's so hard. It's so hard. And that's why I have such a passion for helping others navigate this. We're all in this together and that the interconnectedness that we can find can be, um, Amazing. What would you suggest if, if there's someone listening that says to themselves, I, I really want to be more connected. I want to be able to have these kinds of relationships with my kids and with other people, but I'm not really sure where to start. Yeah, that's a really good question. And, and I think I'd say uh, thank you for acknowledging that first and for, for showing that vulnerability, even to yourself. Mm. I think I would start with identifying the people in your life that you are interested in connecting with, getting closer with. And I think there's great value in singing to that person. Hey, I really want to connect with you. What what do you, what would work for you? You know, and finding out what they need. It's, it kind of goes back to the love languages stuff too. You know, when, when I find that I feel disconnected from my kids, they're both so different, I'll say to one, hey, let's do something. I feel like I want to connect with you. Are you up for quality time? Do you want me to just write a love note? Mm-hmm. Do you want a hug? Can I just lie next to you while you play Fortnite? (laughs) (laughs) And and finding out what they need. You know, it goes back to that platinum rule thing where do what others want would want you to do to them, not what you would want them to do to you kind of thing. So I I feel like if you want to connect, it's important to find out how the other person connects. Right. And touching base with them. And and again, with the communication, just saying it sometimes. Just letting them know, I'm thinking of you. I want to connect. I have a good friend where I can just text her and say, I'm thinking about you today. No need to respond. We don't need to get together. No pressure. You know, just want you to know I'm I'm here. I'm thinking of you. I'll leave it in their court. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that idea, especially with my kids, my kids that are getting older, because I feel like it used to be easier. I could say, hey, let's go do this. And, oh, okay. And now it's like, well, I don't want to do that. And so I think you're right, putting it in their court. And like my son the other day said to me, all you ever do is ask me about school. And I said, well, okay, how, how about your friends? Who are the people, you know? And he's like, oh, um, hello, those are people at school. It's still a school question. I'm like, I'm not really sure where to go with this. And he's like, uh, ask me about video games. Uh, okay. Yeah. I Yeah, that's important. You have to show interest in what they're into yes. in the moment. Yes, yes. 
And it's just. I can care less about porn. I know. But every skin is now. Do you? I'm so impressed. I mean, because I don't even know what question I would ask. I mean, like. I do pretend to be excited when there's a new skin. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, I am like, oh my gosh, are you getting skins coming out this weekend? Woohoo! You know, how can we get you to earn $10 so you can get this? That is nice. And then I'll pretend, like, show it to me. And I mean, that's. That is. I hate Fortnite. I care less. Yes. I I love connecting with, with my son, so. I'm willing to do that. Um, huh. You know what else is a great idea? I tell families is to to buy those tabletop big cards. Oh yes, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and that's a great way because I too am always so curious about school. And now I used to work at the school with my children. Now I don't, and so I, there's a disconnect. So I'm, I'm I'm relying on them now for the information more. And they don't want to really necessarily talk about that. They've lived it all day. They want to come home and decompress. Right. But if I can pull out a question that's an open-ended question, you know, gosh, if, if we won the lottery today, what would you like to do with that money kind of thing? Or if you could be any animal, what, what animal would you be? Why? Right. Tell me more about that. Or Even if it's around school, I ask things like, who made you laugh today? You know, stuff like that, as opposed to... But, you know, who'd you play with at recess? What'd you do? Was anyone nice to you? You know, were you nice to anybody? Were you right, nice to anybody? right. That sounds like how I'm, this is good motivation for me, because it sounds like that's what I'm doing. Who is there anyone that's kind? Is there anyone that's not kind? I'm, like, totally poking. You just moved. So yeah. You want all those concrete details. Yes. And, you, and you'll end up getting them anyway if you start with a bigger question that's funny and kind of makes them think. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if, a, if a spaceship came into one person out of your class, who would it be? <laughs> and then you really get... To the crux of it, I, I, I've learned. Right. Now my kids are kind of on to me, like, oh, are we doing questions again? Yes. <laughs> and I'll say, yeah, you can ask me them, too. Feel free to Google, a, you know, questions to ask. Well, this Chick-fil-A is good. right now, Chick-fil-A is in their um, kids' meal is do, having table topics. Oh, cool. I love yeah. that. That's great. Yeah, yeah, no, this is very motivating for me because I think I can do better at connecting where they are. I do it better with the younger kids because it, it's just the older kids. When You know, when it starts to come with a little bit of toot, I get a little resentful. Yes. But I'm the grown-up, so I can move past that and, you know. Well, uh, and they act like they don't want you in there, and then they really do. Right. I had, I had to learn, though, that when I was going in there, I was commenting on the sidelines with the, with the Fortnite. And I would say, oh, my gosh, she's being mean. Or, you know, wow, I can't believe you said that. Or, you know, gosh, you're killing somebody. You know? Yeah. <laughs> All my uh, commentary was not appreciated. Uh-huh. And so I said, okay, well, I do want to still be around you. If you're okay with that, what what would work? And he's like, just just lay next to me. Or can you just lie on the bed here and just watch me play? And I said, okay, but gosh, that took some willpower to stay quiet. Huh. <laughs> well, my son keeps telling me that he'll teach me to play. Maybe I should take him up on that. I tried. Yeah, do it. I can't. I mean, I, I can't even do fun. Minecraft. I mean, I cannot get up the steps on I Minecraft. Can't do Roblox. <laughs> Right. And it makes me dizzy to watch. Me so too. Oh my gosh. I, yeah. I uh, pretend to be engaged and that seems to work. Okay. All right. I'm going to take a play from that book. I think that's yes. very wise. Yeah. Um, well, so anything else that I haven't really asked you about that you were hoping you could talk to me about in your work yeah. or in your uh, there, background? There is. There's just one thing I always like to get a plug in for, and that's the area of giftedness because I feel like it's not discussed enough and there isn't enough research out there available to parents and to children. And that's, that's a really strong passion of mine is identified or unidentified gifted children and teens. And I see so many in my practice who the school has identified or the school has not. And with that giftedness comes such intensity 
and they are deep thinkers and even deeper feelers. And there's a lot of work, Dabrowski's work, a lot around overexcitabilities and giftedness. And, and, and there's a book, Living with Intensity, that I tell every parent to read if they mm. suspect they have a child showing characteristics of giftedness. And, you know, it's like with anything. It's so liberating once you can identify, oh, this is why. This is why my brain is just wired differently. And I know a lot of people take issue with the word gifted. And, and I, I'm not saying I don't agree. It's just that's all we have out there right now. Right, right. Well, because you're gifted in a certain area. And then the, obviously, like, and not obviously, but like sometimes with that gift, I always say your brain can't be amazing at everything. You know what I mean? No. So you're probably right. gifted in one area. And then as a result, there's a deficit or a, 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 a something you need to work on in another area. We all have strengths and weaknesses. Right, right. But if you have an incredible strength in one area and if your IQ is over 130, that's, your brain's wired differently. And, and along with that comes a certain set of needs. And a really a certain set of emotional needs mm. that need to be met, and and for parenting gifted children that can be very challenging. Uh, so understanding what's going on and helping to really educate people around that has been a passion of mine for years. Um, I just I just saw that over and over in the school, and, and in Texas, unfortunately, giftedness isn't considered special education. In other states, it is. It qualifies for special ed, and you get individual education plan with it you get federal funding to have staff that's just not the case in texas so uh, that's just i always like to kind of throw that in there because when i get a client who the, the parents have said oh yeah they're in the gt program or oh yeah they were identified gifted or i myself see characteristics i find it to be really powerful to label that for the kids so wow. if anybody's listening out there and has any experience in that just you know <laughs> me <laughs> I'm gonna call you later <laughs> yeah and I've wondered about that so I do want to talk to you off the record about that too yeah just yeah my conversations with your kiddos so yeah um, sure. very cool. Well, I love that. And I love the work you're doing. And I, I, personally, as a, a f practitioner, I am very impressed that you have been able to continue with such energy while raising your own family, because that's not easy. That was my, my tricky part. And, um, I, I just think it, and I think it, it, it informs your work right on both fronts like it informs you at home and in the work front and I think it's awesome I love it um one of the questions I always ask at the end is what you do to help take care of yourself you know so you're helping people out in the world you're taking care of your family at home what do you do to take care of yourself I as I'm, I'm sitting here with my two dogs and my cat <laughs> petting them the whole time I'm talking to you so I I, I love animals and I like to spend time with my own animals I find that to be re-energizing re I also I love tea and I know you know about this place next to our house now and mm. I'm, obsessed with their, I'm obsessed with their green tea Ooh, so I've try. been drinking I've been trying to make a point especially on my way into work that's my new kind of treat for myself is to drive through grab this green tea from Thailand and head in and, and drink that and sort of make it an experience and that's been nice um I also just love checking in with friends I'm I'm an extrovert, so I get my bucket refilled when I go to lunch with a friend or my husband or my kids even. I'll go up to school and have lunch with them one time a month or whenever I can kind of get around to, but really just reconnecting with the people in my life that that aren't there because they need me in any capacity other than just to be. I love that. That's great. Yeah. 
So good. Well, I'm glad we got a chance to chat and um, I'm definitely interested in learning more about your work and your practice. So, um, and I once you, you taking the time, and I'm, and I'm also heading to a pedicure after this. So there's ooh a la la. Yes. Um, what? And once you get the um, workshop going, we'll make sure to shout it out, Excellent. so people can sign up. That. All right. Well, thank you so much, Kelly. Thank you, Megan. I'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Family Brain Podcast. Kelly had such great advice, and it's funny because I know. It's advice and insight that we all need reminders of continually. At least I do. You know, I can sort of remember, oh, it's important to be connected to my kids. But with the day-to-day busyness of life, it's easy to forget to do that. And I am feeling very inspired to try to maybe sit with my child and play Fortnite. Although I'm not sure if the offer still stands. We'll have to we'll have to see what that is. Um, but I am hopeful that I can sort of work on those different ways of connecting. And in my mind, if we can keep that connection strong in those day-to-day things that don't seem that important, you know, to us maybe, like, eh, it's a video game or, oh, it's just a toy or, oh, it's just, you know, this little craft project. I think if we can be more connected in those instances, when the bigger things do come up, there's already that baseline there of connection. You know, if you think about your own friendships, you're not really gonna go to somebody who you don't already have a baseline with when something more important to you happens or something more um, that you're not sure if you wanna share. So I was very inspired by her and I'm gonna try to work on that connection here at my own house. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.